0: Hey everyone, Elon here. Quick note before we start the show, I wanted to mention that next week we're going to be having another live episode of Keeping Carlson. It's going to be on Monday, April 4th at 8pm Eastern Time. We'll be live on Blab and this live show is open to all listeners. So if you're interested in joining, check out keepingcarlson.com live and we hope to see you there on Monday. Okay, on with the show. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa, Carlson, 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 Carlson. hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, 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 ingen faktiskt, ingen annan, Carlson, Carlson, vill jag så bra som mig, Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores, Carlson. Yeah! Uh, yes. Yes. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys' own Eric Carlson in their Keeper Pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me, as always, Brian Calm!
1: Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody, for the 100th time. We are at the century mark in terms of episodes or however we have numbered the show. Thank you to those who have been here for all 100, which I think is nobody, Elon, because we didn't release the first few publicly,
0: did we? (laughs) Yeah, we did. They're in the podcast feed. You can check them out. No, don't check them out. We've got a big show for you today. Just two weeks left in the hockey season. Some of you only have one week left in your fantasy season, maybe two. Hopefully you're in the finals. Even if you're eliminated, you're hopefully listening just to get an edge for next year. We're going to have a lot of fun. Before we get into everything, let's mention that we are presented by DabberHockey.com. Best Fantasy Hockey website out there. I want to focus this week on telling you about Goalie Post. I don't know if you know this, but they have this site. It's like its own dedicated site for goalies. They tell you the starting goalies. You can even subscribe to get email notifications for any team you want whenever there's going to be any goalie news about that team. So you'll be, oh, looks like Brian Elliott's going to be starting on Friday and Jake Allen's going to be starting on Saturday. That's an email you'll get. Very handy. Also, something on goalie posts that I find really handy is the schedule. I know that seems so silly, but the NHL schedule in a nice table is so useful, especially with these couple of weeks coming up. You want to make the perfect moves to maximize the number of games you'll get, and you can see it on the schedule!
1: I'm glad you mentioned that, Elon, because that is going to be a key factor in a lot of your fantasy hockey decision-making this week and next week. Hopefully, you're still rolling through your playoffs, still in contention for your league championship. But there's three things... All through the episode that I'm not going to say for every single player in Elon, you're not going to refer to for every single player because, well, it would be redundant. Let's just nail them right off the top. There's three things that you need to keep in mind for every fantasy hockey decision you're making these days. The first is schedule. When's a guy playing? If you add this guy, how many games are you actually going to get out of him? Because there's a lot of clusters of games coming up, as there have been for the last week, too. So anytime you're looking to add somebody, you have to figure out how many times are they actually going to make it in your lineup, and are they better than the alternatives that you already have on your current roster?
0: Yeah, I feel like unless it's a player whose situation is drastically changed, you probably can get a sense of how good the player is, what point pace you can expect from that player at this point. So if you're going to get three games from one guy or four games from another guy, maybe just multiply the expected points by the number of games and you can figure out which one is the better one to add.
1: The other factor that you need to weigh every time, and Elon, you'll always ask me, should I add this guy? What should we all do? And one of my answers for all situations this week depends on your level of desperation. Do you really need to add this guy to hope for one or two games from a hot hand or get an extra game out of this player because you have a star on your team right now who's just not delivering, and we'll get to a couple of those towards the middle part of this week's show. So yeah, essentially, how desperate are you to make this move? Because sure, you could drop a guy like Rick Nash, but are you going to make it to the end of this matchup anyway, with or without him? Do you really need to drop him today?
0: Yeah, of course, the ultimate struggle. Do you go with the slumping star or the surging nobody? I wonder how many people last week dropped a guy like Rick Nash for Devontae Smith-Pelly. And you know what? Maybe you would have regretted that because Rick Nash now has goals finally in his last couple of games. Smith-Pelly finally went to game without a point. So maybe that's the start of a long, cold stretch that we would have expected for the whole season for Devontae Smith-Pelly.
1: And the third thing to consider is the depth of your free agent pool. We're going to be going over some deep cuts on this week's show as per usual, But if you have, like, Justin Falk or John Carlson lying in your free agent pool, the decision isn't between, you know, one of those guys... Or a low-end defenseman who's on a hot run. John Carlson and Justin Falk are probably the guys that you want to add. Again, depending on schedule and depending on your desperation. Although, regardless of desperation level, you're probably going to want those two on your team. So keep in mind the depth of who is available to you in free agency. Still use common sense in terms of which player is likely to be better than another Regardless of how exciting the 50th best free agent candidate to you might be right now.
0: So, Brian, you're saying you wouldn't take Kevin Klein over John Carlson?
1: That is precisely what I'm saying, although now that I think about it, this is probably a rule that extends throughout the whole season too. So schedule, desperation, depth are the three things that are implicit in all of our recommendations this week. You've got to figure out how much each of those three factors are going to affect you and the choices you make, but we're going to provide you with plenty of fodder to figure out the rest of the picture.
0: Alright, so let's get into it. Let's talk about some of these guys that you just brought up. First, Fantasy Hockey Headline of the Week. We've got some very nice outjuries for you. I could have started on injuries. There are some of those, unfortunately. But let's talk about some players who have been back for a game or two, just in time, hopefully, to help you in your Fantasy Hockey playoffs. And we have to start with the two you mentioned, Brian. Brian. Justin Falk, John Carlson, two stud defensemen, quarterbacks of their team's top power plays back. Finally, they've each played one game. Let's take them one at a time. John Carlson finally returned from his lower body injury yesterday for the Capitals against the New Jersey Devils. And a nice return. He scored the game-winning goal in overtime. A crazy one-nothing game. Can you believe Scott Wedgewood? I guess we'll get to him. Almost got the shutout against the Cavs. But John Carlson sealed the deal. He ended the game with one goal, four shots on goal, three blocks. You know, that's the reason why you have a guy like John Carlson. He gives you blocks, he gives you points. Of course, he only played 19 minutes and 27 seconds, which is understandable. It was his first game back. Matt Niskanen got the majority of the minutes for the Capitals, but I'd assume sometime soon Carlson's minutes will creep up. Maybe Niskanen's will creep down. There was a stretch where Carlson was day-to-day for a while before he went on the IR, so it's possible that he was maybe dropped in some leagues by frustrated owners if he's available. Like Brian said before, I feel like you have to, have to, have to add John Carlson. Then we have Justin Falk. Returns for the Hurricanes, he was also out for such a long time. Not as impactful of a return. He played 20 minutes, no goals, no assists, one shot on goal, minus one. I actually called it in the Facebook group. People were asking if they should bring Justin Falk off of IR for his first game back. And I was saying, I don't know, I have a feeling he's going to go minus one with one shot on goal. So I was pretty proud about that when I saw it the next day. Long term though, the guy's got 15 goals, 19 assists in 56 games, 16 points on the power play. Justin Falk has been having a pretty good year. He was having an amazing year for a while, then he slowed down. Then there's this injury. Really curious to see how he will finish the year off. Brian, what are your thoughts on both of these guys?
1: Yeah, I can really pair them together in terms of their current storyline, which is that they're two elite multi-cat difference-making defensemen returning for the final two weeks of the regular season. You might have them in IR. If you do and you need help right now, go ahead and activate them. In their returns from injury, they both led their respective teams in power play time on ice. Their total time on ice, however, is down from their usual amounts, but that's how it goes with players easing back into the lineup after injury. It's worth noting that Ryan Murphy played as much power play time as Justin Falk did in Falk's return, while in Washington, Matt Niskanen's power play time was down. He still played more minutes overall than John Carlson, but I wouldn't expect that to last Too much longer. I'm going to preempt your question, Elon, about which one I'd prefer and say it's Carlson. There's still definitely this cloud lingering over Falk and this whole injury situation, which has been really murky the whole time, and he did come back for one game and then go back on the shelf for a couple weeks. I don't expect that'll happen this time. But I have a little more faith in Carlson and, of course, the Capitals' goal scoring.
0: Right, and you mentioned some other defensemen there aside from Carlson and Falk. They probably lose value. Most defensemen on these teams probably lose some value because maybe while Carlson and Falk were injured, there were some people that we thought might get the opportunity to play on the top power play on their teams. There were guys on Carolina like Noah Hannafin that we talked about at some point. Ryan Murphy, like you said. Definitely the job belongs to Justin Falk. So if you were a streaming guy like Noah Hannafin, who, by the way, has an assist in each of his last three games, I guess if this was earlier in the season, I'd say maybe now's the time to sell high but instead I'll say probably he's a guy to drop don't be fooled if you're looking at him in free agency and you're and you're seeing this hot streak maybe he could keep it up but I doubt it and I feel like his opportunity goes down now that Justin Falk is back same with a guy like Matt and though he has had a pretty good season even during the time that John Carlson's back I definitely prefer Matt Niskanen to Noah Hannafin
1: and of course keep an eye on Ryan Murphy who kept pace with Justin Falk in time spent with the man advantage
0: Yeah, so we'll see. Let's move on to another defenseman who has returned recently. He wasn't out as long, but definitely another big impact defenseman. Oliver ekman Larson has now been back for two games after missing six with an upper body injury. Immediate impact for Oliver ekman Larson. He is so good. I feel like he's underrated. We don't talk about him enough on the podcast. He had an assist in each of his two games back, two and four shots in those games, so six shots overall. He's even been a plus five in these two games, which is something usually we have to say is the one red flag with Oliver ekman Larson. is he's good. Gonna hurt your plus minus not in these two games honestly there's no real advice i could ask about oliver ekman larson there's no question mark even of if he's going to be shaking off the rust he's clearly back playing big minutes doing his thing maybe the one other question though about that is that with ekman larson returning you have a guy like michael stone who was leading the coyotes defense in oliver ekman larson's absence he has seven points in his last seven if anyone picked him up a couple of weeks ago it was like a brilliant pickup and he's really been producing for you at this point. Do we think that Michael Stone is going to start regressing now that his role is diminishing or can he still keep up a pretty decent point pace?
1: Well, Elon, first off, I want to congratulate you on seeing Oliver Ekman Larson so many times without fumbling. That's a tough job that you just handled. (laughs) And yeah, OEL is super great. There's not much to say about him. It's worth noting he saw over 10 minutes of power play time last game, which of course you need a certain amount of opportunity to be able to get 10 minutes, but still 10 minutes, that is one sixth of an entire hockey game spent on the ice with the man advantage. Incredibly, no points on the power play in that contest against Dallas. But that's not symbolic of Arizona's power play as a whole as of late. Arizona's played 11 games in March, they've scored a power play goal in seven of those games. And somehow, not amongst those seven games are two games, including the Dallas game I just referenced, where they saw six power play opportunities. But anyway, the point is that their power play is clicking more than it really has at any other point this year, and that has been good news for Michael Stone, and it will be for Oliver ekman Larson if it continues. Stone, by the way, was on the ice for almost nine minutes, eight minutes and 47 seconds in that game against Dallas, and that's his power play time on ice, not his total time on ice, which was substantially higher. And it's worth keeping in mind, a lot of people forget with ekman Larson there that Michael Stone actually sees a substantial proportion of the team's power play time with and without ekman Larson in the line. I don't know that Arizona's power play keeps rolling in the way it has been. I don't know if that's sustainable, so that might affect whether or not Stone can keep collecting points, but Stone is also one of those guys that you can count on to at least get you some shots and blocks if he's not going to score.
0: Yeah, just like Ekman Larson, Stone also has six shots over his last two games. Another guy on Arizona who's been really good over the last two games is someone who I'm really just having trouble nailing down, Martin Hansel. I know I bring him up every once in a while. He went cold after we recommended him, which was so frustrating. I'm sure everyone's dropped him by now, so of course in his last two games he has three goals and an assist. He had seven shots against Edmonton, four against Dallas. I don't know about this Martin Hansel. Maybe he just needs to be healthy and playing with Oliver Ekman Larson. Maybe that is the formula for success for Martin Hansel. So definitely keep an eye on him for these next couple of weeks.
1: 11 shots in his last two games certainly doesn't help. And one of those four points that he has did come on the power play. Another one came shorthanded as a matter of fact.
0: What a guy. I don't know if I'm going to recommend him. Who would you want, Brian, right now, of any Arizona forward? If you could have one Arizona forward for the rest of the season, you've got the choice of guys like Shane Doan, Max Domi, Vermet, Hansel, Ryder, Tange, all people we've brought up at various points in the season and have been hot for various points of the season. Which one would you take if you could only take one?
1: Alex Tange has actually pretty much been the most consistent coyote as of late over the last couple of weeks. We talked about Vermet last week and how he had been pretty hot for about 10 days or so, but he tends to run hot and cold, either making an impact on the score sheet or disappearing completely. I think I'd still go with Hensel, even after all he's put us through this year. I still think he's a good player. It's great to see him taking shots. I think it is positive that Ekman Larsen is back in the lineup, and I feel like he's the one who can make things happen the most. I think it would be between him and Tenge, I'd lean towards Hansel just to get some shots on goal because Tenge can't be relied upon to give you more than 0-1 or 2 in a given night.
0: Yeah, I definitely wouldn't go Tenge, even though he's done well. If it was me, I'd go Hansel or Max Domi. I haven't mentioned him. He's been putting together, actually, a very solid rookie season. He has 47 points in 73 games. He'll likely hit the 50-point mark couple points in his last two games. Maybe I'd go Max Domi. I don't know. Maybe I'm getting frustrated recommending Martin Hansel all the time and getting burned.
1: I think that would be okay. Max Domi is essentially at worst a half a point per game player this year. He's had a couple 10 or 15 game runs this year where he's managed to produce at a pace above that. But on the whole, at least you kind of know what you're getting with Max Domi. Hansel, if you look at his last several games, no half point per game pace to be found. Just off or on Whereas Domi, if he's not on-on, at least he's, like, half-on.
0: <laughs> that could be a new metric. How on is this player right now? <laughs> but okay, one more outjury for now, which will transition into an injury. Nikolai Aylers returned for the Winnipeg Jets, which is great. But of course, the Jets can't get a player back without losing a couple. That's the way this season has gone for the Winnipeg Jets. And it looks like Matthew Perot and Tyler Myers are out for the season, which is just crazy for a team that's already lost Brian Little. So, of course, Ehlers has all the opportunity in the world to come back right to the top line and the top power play on the Jets, and that's exactly what he did He was on the top line in his first game back, playing with Shifley and Blake Wheeler, and on the top power play with those two guys, Andrew Stafford and Dustin Bufflin, of course. So it's another great opportunity for Ehlers. I feel like he could be a very sneaky add for the last couple of weeks of the regular season. I'm sure a lot of people gave up on him, dropped him when he was injured, especially because he was just day-to-day. But you know what? Winnipeg plays four times next week, and Ehlers in his first game back didn't get any points, but he was plus two which means that he was on the ice for goals. He happened to not touch the puck before they went in, but he easily could have had an assist. I didn't watch the game, but I'm assuming just from those numbers. I think that playing with the guys he's playing with, he's going to get some points next week, and I have a feeling he's available in your league. Unless it's a keeper league, in which case no one would have dropped him.
1: Yeah, just over 16 minutes in his return, Elani said no points, also no shots on goal. But he's back on the top line, back on the top power play unit. You know, Winnipeg hasn't been scoring a ton as of late. They had a run of 0-1 two goal games before scoring four against the Kings on Thursday, which is a pretty unlikely team to break out of a scoring slump against. But Ellers can hopefully play a role in fixing that in the longer term over the last couple of weeks of the season. If the Jets do score a goal, there is a pretty decent chance that he's going to be in on it. And seeing him put a few shots on goal would really be assuring to anyone who's on the fence about adding him or not.
0: So we're going with Ehlers now? I thought we were going Ehlers.
1: Uh, we're definitely doing Ehlers. Someone primed me with the name Lars shortly before we begin recording.
0: Uh, (laughs) Ah, mistakes happen.
1: It's what my friends call me. What? Lars.
0: Uh. (laughs) Ah. You can cut that (laughs) (laughs) down. And also to repeat, the Jets play four times next week. If you can't get Ehlers, maybe take a look at Drew Stafford. Like I said, he's not on the top line anymore, but he is on the top power play. So maybe some points from him. Another team having some injury trouble is the Anaheim Ducks. And I know we mention them every week, but we talked about them last week and about who we thought was going to make the biggest on their team as the lines were shuffling. I think it was Jamie McGinn on the top line, and we were saying Perron was bumped. Now Perron is actually injured. He's week to week. So unfortunately, the great free agent pickup you made right after the trade deadline, or actually even much before the trade deadline, now it's time to look elsewhere. Perron had a great run on Anaheim, though he didn't do so great right at the end before he got injured. But regardless, things have changed again there. Jamie McGinn off the top line. Brandon Peary is the one playing with Perron Getzlaff which is what I would have said before the last game because that's already changed. So for a second, it looked like Getzlaff and Perry were going to be back together, which would have been great news for Brandon Peary. But now it looks like in Anaheim's last game, they had Getzlaff with McGinn and Peary, Corey Perry with Ricard Raquel and Nick Ritchie. You just really can't rely on these lines. The only thing you can rely on is that Jacob Silverberg is going to play with Cogliano and Kessler. Unfortunately, Kessler was injured in the last game. So you
1: can't even rely on that.
0: <laughs> oh, but all of this to say, Brandon Peary playing with Getzlaff, at least. He had a goal, to assists in Anaheim's last game, and he took seven shots on goal. So he's maybe someone to look at. Who knows with these lines? Though I know a lot of people grabbed McGinn when it looked like he was going to be playing with Perry and Getzlaff. Probably time to drop him now, unfortunately.
1: Elon, I'm surprised you'd say that. He's got five goals in his last five games.
0: Yeah, it's true. And actually, in the last game, he had two power play goals. From the top power play unit, actually. So the top power play of the last game was McGinn, Peary, and then Perry and Getzlaff. So, okay, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there is still some value in Jamie McGinn. Not as much as if he was also on the top line with those superstars, but hey, even on the top power play, and he did get those two power play goals. Don't expect that to keep happening. I don't know. Don't even expect him to stay on the top power play. I feel like everything's going to change every game.
1: Yeah, McGinn is the current Devontae Smith-Pelly of the Anaheim Ducks. He has five goals on his last 12 shots which is a rate that isn't sustainable. And of course, power play opportunities are easier to score on. So if he stays there, maybe he can keep producing a little bit. But that's been a pretty pleasant thing for anybody who's streamed him into their lineup and isn't letting go for good reason. Brandon Peary's points the other night, Elon, that you mentioned were his first as a duck. It took him five games to get there. He also took seven shots on goal, which is fairly uncharacteristic for him. Generally, he's... Been about a two-shot-on-goal-per-game kind of guy this year. In his career, he's had a couple spurts where he's had three or four for a little while, and that's when we've liked him the most. Seven shots on goal is really promising. And Ricard Raquel has only two shots in his last three games. No points, even in that shooting gallery game against Toronto. But he'll be back before long. He's still the most reliable of that trio. And that has been your Anaheim Ducks bit-piece-forward update. (laughs)
0: And now for the defense. And nothing really has changed much from last week, except that Shea Theodore, we hinted that he might get called up because Vatanen was still out. Now with Bieksa also out, Shea Theodore has been called up. He's probably going to make his debut tonight for the Ducks against Ottawa. We had a lot of people asking us on the patron-only Facebook group, should I drop this guy for Theodore? Should I drop this guy for Theodore? Once we posted that Theodore had been called up. We all know that he had a great run in his last six games with the Ducks before he got sent down. It was like six points in six games. I'm going to say you should probably hold off. We don't know what Theodore's role is going to be when he was back on the team before he was on the top power play. But that was with Cam Fowler out. And Cam Fowler's been the one manning the top power play. So it's very possible that Theodore won't get that same job. Who knows how many minutes he'll get. He was mainly being used as a power play specialist and not getting that many minutes otherwise. So... I wouldn't rush to grab Theodore. Also, Vatnin and BXa are both day-to-day. They could be back anytime and Theodore could be sent down. So definitely add him to your watch list. But if it was me, I wouldn't be adding him right now, not even as a flyer.
1: Yeah, Cam Fowler has been manning that top power play unit. But the thing is, is he's done very little with it lately. Not getting points in his last six or seven games at all, let alone with the man advantage. Actually, check that. He had an assist two games ago, but aside from that, there's been nothing for the last nine. Theodore's coming in at a bit of an interesting time. You know, the Ducks have won just three of their last nine games. Injury to Vatnin isn't likely to help things. Last time when Theodore came in with that power play specialist role, he's able to grab six points in 13 games played, and everybody wants to know, including myself, does he get another chance to do that? I'm not sure that he does. You know, the Ducks have been losing games, but it's not because of their power play, which has really been clicking all season long and is still clicking. They lead the league in power play efficiency right now. And at this moment, even though Fowler still isn't doing a whole lot for them on the power play, Hampus Lindholm is picking up the slack, even though he's seeing fewer minutes and fewer opportunities than Cam Fowler. So the question is, can Shea Theodore take Cam Fowler's minutes? At least that's what I think the question is. The answer is... A resounding maybe.
0: <laughs> very useful, right? Basically, check the box score after the game tonight. That's what I'm going to be doing. I'm very curious to see how Theodore will be used.
1: Yeah, this next game will be very instructive for all of us. If it costs you nothing to add Shay Theodore in advance of it, then sure, you can take a shot. But if it does cost you something, I don't think he makes for an essential preemptive Add. And I also imagine that if Vatnin is healthy for the playoffs, the Ducks may not consider Theodore as an integral part of their lineup going into the postseason, which makes me wonder about how big a role they're willing to give him right now. And Elon, you did say vatanen was day-to-day. Latest we've heard is that probably sometime in this upcoming week is when he'll return. He has a chin injury.
0: So chin up, Vatin owners. <laughs> Brian made me say that. <laughs> You know, Brian, you mentioned last week that you wanted to try to get to a Sens game. This would be a great game to go to tonight to see the Sens against the Ducks, to see how Shea Theodore is used. And if you want to go to that game, why not buy your ticket off of SeatGeek? Aside from having the distinction of being the first ever sponsor of Keeping Carlson... SeatGeek is actually a really good website! If you've ever been frustrated trying to buy tickets online, with all these other sites trying to sneak in huge fees at checkout, then you should check out SeatGeek, because they've made it easier than ever to buy and sell sports and concert tickets.
1: Yeah, it's a great site and app, whichever way you want to use it. I'm someone who's obsessed with value, which is where SeatGeek really speaks to me. They rank each ticket they sell in terms of its value. So if you're getting a good seat for the price you're paying which can be an excellent guide for figuring out if you're going to pay another few bucks to move up a couple rows, or if you're probably just as good where you are with the cheapest pair available.
0: Right, and best of all, SeatGeek is always honest and upfront about the price. Unlike StubHub, SeatGeek shows you the full ticket price from start to finish and never surprises you with huge fees at checkout. And now, of course, the special offer for Keeping Carlson listeners, you can get a $20 rebate on your first SeatGeek purchase. So just download the app, Enter the promo code KEEPING, as in Keeping Carlson. Then SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Check it out. SeatGeek, help support the show. Brian, let's move on. I guess we have to go back to injuries, unfortunately. And let's go to Vancouver. We have probably an insignificant injury at this point. Probably not someone who we thought would be an insignificant injury if I had told you he would be injured at the start of the year. But Radim Verbata is going to be out for the season. He suffered a knee injury against the Oilers a couple of weeks ago. At the end of the day, Brian, what I really want to ask you, is there anyone at all worth owning on the Canucks? And I'm including the Sedins in this question. They have been shut out in three of their last four games. The team has been shut out in three of its last four games. They can't score. If you have any goalie decisions to make and that team is playing the Canucks, play that goalie. It doesn't matter who the goalie is, it seems. But if you look at their last eight games, their leading scorer has been Daniel Sedin with three points. Hendrik Sedin has tied him also with three points. So three points in the last eight games is the best you're getting from any Vancouver Canuck. We've talked about other guys in the past like Bo Horvat. Sven Berchi like I don't know I could mention a bunch of names a lot of people were asking us which duck they should stream because they were one of the few teams playing Friday and Sunday of this week so you know you were able to drop someone playing Saturday and get two games out of the guy but really the answer in the end was kind of like I don't know I don't really want any duck Brian is there any reason to own a Vancouver Canuck at this point including the Sedins should someone be considering dropping a Sedine for their final playoff week or two
1: Yeah, I think you said duck at some point, but it rhymes with Canucks, so you were close. Daniel Sedin tried to rally the troops for the Canucks recently, calling out his teammates' efforts, saying that it looked like the team had checked out, and that was when I thought, oh, maybe this team can still have a little bit of fire, maybe something will happen when Daniel Sedin calls you out, maybe you respond, but apparently you don't. Nothing has happened since Daniel Sedin shared his thoughts with the media. They've been shut out now, time and time again, and I think that all hope is lost in Vancouver this year. I'm riding with Ben Hutton on my roster right now and hating myself for using up so many moves earlier in the season because I'm essentially out. I can't do anything with him. I need to keep him on my roster, but I'm done hoping that I'm going to get anything out of him. The Canucks managed only 15 shots on goal against St. Louis last night, which was even worse than the 19 they registered against those same Blues just a couple games earlier. No Canuck was responsible for more than two of those 15 shots. So I can't even say, well, Daniel Sedin was the only one really making an effort or was really doing something special. He wasn't. Nobody was. I don't know what you can expect out of Canucks the rest of the season and would advise you stay away, even for a stream, if it's going to cost you a transaction in a league where those are limited for you.
0: Okay, so clearly no one's going to disagree with you that aside from the Sedins, Don't stream these guys right now. But the big question, Brian, the people who own Daniel Sedin or Henrik Sedin, if they have someone available to them, like, let's say, Nikolai Ehlers, who we just mentioned before, would you consider dropping a Sedin at this point in the season? If you look at the schedule, the Canucks play Sunday of this week, so maybe you hang on to them there. But after that, just three games next week, before ending the year with four games in the final week, but only three games next week, you get four games out of Ehlers. Would you drop Daniel Sedin for Nikolai Ehlers?
1: Schedule, desperation, depth, Elon, is how I would answer that question. They're pretty close, so just go with the guy who fits better for your team in this week and based on your whole league context if you had to make me choose if I had both of them available to me I would probably take Ehlers as crazy as that sounds. I feel like Daniel Sedin probably has the higher ceiling but he also has the lower floor since nobody on Vancouver can do pretty much anything right now.
0: Yeah it's, it's hard like on one hand it seems like the right answer is drop the Sedins at this point but at the same time I just get this feeling like we're gonna say it and then they're gonna do really well so maybe if anything we're helping the Sedin owners by calling them out maybe i'll hedge and say keep your sadine for this sunday maybe keep him also for tuesday's game against san jose next week and then decide if still nothing definitely they play thursday and friday of next week and then don't play on the weekend so definitely drop them for the weekend if they still haven't done anything next injury let's go to edmonton oh my god this team can't stay healthy ryan Nugent hopkins injured again he's dealing with a minor concussion we don't know yet when he'll be back obviously concussion isn't good but it's a, it's a minor concussion, so I don't know exactly what that means. In the meantime, some interesting players have been stepping up for the Oilers lately. You've got Mark Letestu, who has seven points in his last eight games, three of those points on the power play. Then you have Pat Maroon, who had three points in the Oilers' last game, playing on a line with Jordan Eberly and Connor McDavid. By the way, Connor McDavid has eight points, all assists, in his last six games, but he's also taking lots of shots on goal. This guy's just unreal. There was a stat that came out recently about how he's been in on like 50% of the Oilers' goals since he's returned, which is just crazy. That doesn't happen. But obviously, we don't need to talk about Connor McDavid, but Brian, like guys like Mark Letestu and Pat Maroon, worth an ad. Also, Andre Sekera, I should mention. He has five points in his last five games.
1: Just before I get to those guys, to your point about Connor McDavid, he has an IPP this year of 88.9%. That means essentially... Out of all the goals that are scored on the ice, he is involved in some way getting a goal or an assist on them in 90% of them. So only 1 in 10 goals for the Oilers while he's on the ice do not go through Connor McDavid. He's good. Yeah, I guess so. And guys who are not quite as good, Mark Letestu and Patrick Maroon, are doing well lately. Mark Letestu, I don't know, he's not really playing with anyone of note. He's playing with Korpikoski and Pekorainen and Yakupov, who may be someone of note. We still have yet to truly figure that out, but for now, he's not somebody worth noting most of the time and Latezu also is not taking a ton of shots, so I don't know if you can really count on sustained production from him. Maroon, on the other hand, you know, we brought him up when he first went to the Oilers, and he had a couple good games. Seemed to be like he was going to get in on the offense a little bit, but he hasn't consistently done that at all. In fact, a lot of the times, he is totally shut out across the board with zeros in every column, including shots on goal. But in his last game, he had five ...and was a plus three, which I don't think is something you can count on to happen too regularly from Maroon... ...but it's nice that he can manage to do this every once in a while. So if you have room on your roster for an every once in a while type producer then sure, but otherwise I wouldn't rush to go grab him.
0: Yeah, and I guess since we've been talking about the schedule all week, we should mention Edmonton has the worst schedule for the next two weeks. Only two games in each of the next two weeks. I would say if you've got an Oiler right now, you could get their game on Monday against Anaheim. That's what I'm planning on doing. I have Leon Dreisaitl in one of my leagues. He's not going to be a keeper, so I think I'm going to be dropping him after Monday because they don't play again until Saturday. And then after that, they don't play again until Wednesday. So you're not getting a lot of games out of these. Oilers. So, if you are going to stream someone like a Pat Maroon, do it for Monday. Maybe he'll get you some points there, but after that, I think you have to drop. Also, even like a guy like Cam Talbot, by the way, if you've been holding him, you might want to look at another goalie option.
1: Cam Talbot has been really exciting in the second half of the season. In fact, since January 1st, he has a 928 save percentage. That's over a 32-game sample size, which, of course, is not necessarily definitive. We've seen Andrew Hammond do even better over a slightly shorter period of time. But actually, even if you go back to the start of December, those numbers would stay intact. So for most of the season, essentially all but his first, I don't know, 13-15 games, Cam Talbot has been a very good goalie in the NHL this year in his first year as a starter. Of course, that Euler schedule hurts for anyone who owns McDavid, Eberle, Hall, Talbot, A lot of Oilers seem expendable all of a sudden, especially because there's a four-day gap between games played for them next week. That's a lot of time to have somebody burning a hole in your roster for a game in which they might not even score a goal.
0: Plus, yeah, back on Talbot, when he does come back on Saturday, he might not be the goal you'd play. Like, almost all the teams play that day, so if he's your third goalie, he would not even get in your lineup. So definitely something to look at, but yeah, Cam Talbot has been great. It'll be interesting when we do Schmorgolisborg in the summertime to see what tier we put him in for next year. I hope the Oilers will improve, which could only be good for Talbot. They can't get much worse. Actually, one more thing about the Oilers for next season. Would you draft Connor McDavid first overall if it's a one-year league for next year? Like, do you think he's going to lead the league in scoring? He's been, I think, the best player since he's returned from injury, hasn't he?
1: Yeah, I think he is definitely in with that top group of scores: The Crosby, Tavares, Giroux conversation. McDavid is now a part of that too, going into next year's draft. Of course, we'll get more into that over the course of the offseason.
0: I guess to be fair, I just ranked for the last 30 days. I'm seeing Sidney Crosby has 20 points in his last 14 games McDavid a paltry 15 points in his last 16 games so I can't say that McDavid has been the best player since he's come back from injury but he has been one of the best but of course Sidney Crosby still making a strong case for himself to be that number one guy but since we were just talking about goalies, we're talking about Cam Talbot I want to talk about some other goalies Brian a lot of goalie intrigue this week still have some injuries and outries we'll get to them but let's start in St. Louis this one isn't so much intrigue just we have to just keep up what we were saying from last week Brian Elliott just keeps getting shutouts He now has three shutouts in a row, just an insane run for him. Jake Allen is scheduled to finally get a start tonight since Elliott played yesterday, but Allen's going to be coming back after missing all these games to play Washington, so this might not be a great start for him, and if he falters, I can't imagine when he'll get the net back again. Elliott has just been lights out. I feel like at this point, if you have Jake Allen, is it time to consider dropping him?
1: A back-to-back presents a good excuse to get Allen in and ask Elliot to take a game off. If Allen does well, though, I still think Elliot gets back in the net for the next contest, and I think he keeps going until he slows down. I think the Blues would be happy to have Allen get a couple more games in down the stretch to get tuned up for the postseason. But if Elliot doesn't relinquish his spot in the crease and keeps playing lights out, I don't think they'll be too disappointed about that either. Right now, I think Elliott is your number one goalie in St. Louis. Of course, that can change a lot seven days from now. But at this point, even a good performance from Jake Allen, I don't think, earns him the next start.
0: Yeah, then looking at the schedule, there's only one more back-to-back for St. Louis. So it's possible that Allen might only have this start and one more for the rest of the year, depending on what Elliot does. Like you say, it's Elliot's job to lose. As long as he's doing well, I think he's going to keep going and they're going to keep playing him because they've got a hot goalie going into the playoffs. That's the best thing you could have. So, yeah, if you're an Allen owner, you should definitely be looking at other options right now. And, Brian Elliott, hopefully you grabbed him off free agency if slash when you have the chance. Another team with some intriguing goaltending is the Islanders. When Halak went down, we thought, all right, this is your time. Grab Thomas Grice. What an opportunity to get probably who has been the best goalie just in a backup role over the season. He had such a great save percentage all season long. We thought he was a sure thing to grab a starting goalie now on a great team. But Grice has really faltered. He's been doing not great at all. No wins in his last four games. In his last two games played, he's had an 885 and 854 save percentage. Six goals against yesterday against the Tampa Bay Lightning. He made 35 saves, but six goals against. Not very good. And in the meantime, the third goalie on the Islanders, but now the backup, Jean-Francois Berubi, who I'm pretty sure I said when we were talking about Grice last, don't worry, Berubi is not going to be stealing starts from Grice. I have to take that back. He played against Ottawa recently, had a great game, only one goal against, got the win, he hasn't played very much overall on the season, but when he has played, he's actually been pretty good, he has a 929 save percentage in like five games played, but at this point, with Grice faltering, maybe Jean-Francois Berube can steal some starts next week, I'd imagine at the very least, he'll get the game today against Carolina, since Grice had that bad game yesterday, and it's a back-to-back, but then the Islanders play three times next week, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, if Berube does good today, Why wouldn't they put him back in on Tuesday? Also, who is this Jean-Francois Berube? (laughs) The story of JF Berube
1: is an interesting one this year. Since the start of the season in October, he's actually seen work on just 10 nights total between the NHL and the AHL. You'd think he was a mid-90s Marty Brodeur backup with those kinds of numbers. But the story is that the Kings waived him back at the start of the year to get some roster space. And then the Islanders claimed Berube because Halak was injured. And I guess the Islanders like him as either a goalie or a trade asset or a press box presence because they'd rather have him sit there in the press box as a healthy scratch most every single night, that Halak and Grice are healthy rather than risk losing him on waivers in order to get him some playing time in Bridgeport. In Bridgeport, he has been able to see a little bit of playing time five games, thanks to a couple two week conditioning stints, and he stopped 96% of the shots he faced in those five games? Well, in his five appearances at the NHL level, he has a 9.29 save percentage. He was drafted back in 2009. He won an AHL championship last year with the Kings, AHL affiliate in Manchester, but not with eye-popping numbers. I don't think he can take a ton of the credit for it. So that's who Barubi is. The question now is, Does Grice need to be concerned? There's a lot of reason for everybody to be worried about Grice losing his spot as the current de facto number one, essentially. But I think some of it is premature. I know he's had four poor outings in his last seven starts. So yeah, maybe some cause for concern. But on the season, his quality start percentage, even with this recent rough stretch, is just a smidge below 60%, which is very respectable. In fact, 60% or higher is considered a good quality start percentage, nothing to be concerned about. So I don't think the Isles should be racing to put their faith in anyone else just yet. But it will be interesting to see, today at least, if Barube can at least present himself as a viable alternative should they need to turn away from Thomas Grice.
0: Yeah, the way I'm looking at this, I've got my eye on Tuesday's game next week for the Islanders against Carolina. I've got my notification set up on goalie post. If I get that email saying that Barube is in, I'm going to be grabbing him for a spot start in one of my leagues. I know which league, I know who's the drop, I'm ready. I just need to hear that announcement. So we'll see what happens. I'd recommend you do the same. That would probably be a good start to have. And, if he does well, maybe then there's Thursday against Columbus, another good team to play against. So, there's some potential there, but we'll see how Grice does. And if the Islanders go back to him versus going with the hot hand in Barubi right now. More goalie intrigue, you ask for? Okay, here we go. How about we go to New Jersey, where Corey Schneider is still injured. Once he comes back, all the intrigue is gone. In the meantime, and he might actually be coming back next week. So this might all be very short term. But in the meantime, Keith Kincaid, we thought he would be getting the majority of the starts. But he really sunk it up. He had that one good week, then a bad week. And now Scott Wedgwood is the new big name in New Jersey and in the NHL. And if you hadn't heard of J.F. Baruby, then I'm imagining you probably hadn't heard of Scott Wedgwood. But he's played three games so far. Two of them wins. Yesterday, he lost against Washington, but only let in one goal in overtime. That's a 978 save percentage overall in his three games. I can't imagine the Devils go back to Kincaid while Schneider is out. They're going to be riding Scott Wedgwood, at least until he falters. Brian, who is Scott Wedgwood? Is he like some prospect with a high pedigree? Is this something we should have expected? Is he a good start for the remaining New Jersey games before Corey Schneider comes back?
1: The answers to your questions in order, Elon, are no no, and yes. I mean, before these three career NHL appearances that are all that we've seen from Scott Wedgwood at the major league level, the former Team Canada World Juniors goalie carried a 904 save percentage over 93 appearances over four years for the AHL's Albany Devils, where he was actually sharing time with Keith Kincaid and several other bit crease pieces, and Kincaid, for what it's worth, had slightly more success in that period of time, though he is a few years older, a few years further along in his so-called development. Wedgwood is 23 years old, drafted in the third round, 84th overall back in 2010, and has definitely made a case to be the starter for as long as Schneider is out. Kincaid certainly hasn't won the job, and I think it's totally up in the air, and right now Wedgwood has grabbed it. Is he worth streaming for you? If you need a goalie start, I feel like you could do worse. I'd actually rather start him than a guy, say, like Cam Ward right now.
0: Which is actually a decision some people might be making this Sunday. It's going to be New Jersey against Carolina. They might be choosing between picking up Scott Wedgwood or Cam Ward.
1: And even more interestingly, his first game, he did a great job of shutting down the Columbus Blue Jackets, which I feel like most goalies in the league should be able to do. But his next two were back-to-back efforts against Pittsburgh. He had a 39-save shutout. And then gave up a goal in overtime to Washington, and that was it. So shut them out over 60 minutes and then let the 26th shot get past him that night. Still too early to say exactly what the future holds for Scott Wedgwood, but in the short term, you could go with the hot hand.
0: Yeah, he definitely hasn't given us any reason to be afraid of him yet. Maybe he'll blow a start for you next week, but it seems good so far. Let's quickly go to Calgary now. What a weird goalie situation there. It seemed for a little while, like Yoni Orteo was the guy that was going to be getting most of the starts for the rest of the season. All of a sudden, they decided to give Nicholas Backstrom a couple of games. they had acquired him from Minnesota, and he had a great game against Montreal, got the win, 9.55 save percentage, only one goal against, then a huge stinker, as to be expected, against his former team, Minnesota. Also, Jonas Hiller had a really bad game. In his last appearance against Toronto, had an 8.75 save percentage. It's been like four games now since Orteo's been in the net. I guess he goes back in. He also hasn't been good lately. I guess all this to say, you can't really trust any Flames spot start. And now you can't even pick a goalie to ride just to get games. I would think they're going to go with Ortio. It makes sense that they should just go with Orteo. Clearly, Backstrom and Hiller can't hack it right now. But I don't know. I wouldn't want any of them. I'd rather start Scott Wedgwood over a Calgary goalie right now. Do you want Wedgwood or Barubi? Um, I think I would go with Berube. Assu- like, are you asking me to take someone now to ride for the rest of the season? Or are you saying, like, for a spot start on a given day?
1: Let's say we know both guys are going to be playing against similar opponents in similar home away situations.
0: I would go with Barube. I think you have a better chance for the win, having the Islanders goalie over the New Jersey goalie. And Barube's had great numbers recently as well, so... Two unknowns, one's on a better team. Give me Barube. Plus, he has the chance to actually get more games in the future, I think, if Grice keeps faltering. With Cory Schneider coming back soon, you're probably not going to get more than one or two games out of Wedgwood. What do you think?
1: I agree with you. I'd go Barube because he plays for the Islanders, who have had their fair share of struggles lately, by the way. In fact, they've only won three of their last ten, while the Devils have won five of their last ten So if you're looking for the better team, well, the Devils are better lately. But I'm not necessarily buying that they're a better team night in, night out than the Islanders. So I'll go with Barubi. Over the course of the week, I feel like Wedgwood is going to get more starts. So I will also go with him for a longer term view. But not too long term. Because hopefully Corey Schneider is back sooner rather than later
0: yeah word is next week so we'll see maybe we'll be talking about him on next week's episode okay how about i'll give a couple more quick goalie notes before we move on to some skaters i wanted to mention Braden holtby is back to being awesome he had that cold stretch people were wondering if holtby was maybe slowing down losing his shot at that vesna trophy which all but had his name inscribed going into the all-star break He had a shutout yesterday against New Jersey. He had a good game against Ottawa before that. A stinker against Pittsburgh, but then two games before that. So Holtby is back to being good. Definitely always start Holtby when you have the chance. Things are still very interesting in San Jose. The Sharks coach, Pete DeBoer, has declined to name Martin Jones as a team starter for the playoffs. He was saying he's going to go day by day, not week by week. Jones has been good. Reimer has also been good, though he did have one bad game in his last outing, so... A lot of intrigue there. Hard to know who's going to be getting the starts for the rest of the season. Chad Johnson in Buffalo. Leonard is still injured and Johnson has been doing pretty good. He had one bad game against Toronto. Buffalo plays four games next week. Is it possible that Chad Johnson can play all four games? Might happen. Nathan Lewin is the backup. I'm not sure if the Sabres need to give him a start. Why not just run Chad Johnson until Leonard's back? So he might be a good guy to pick up, especially if you need saves. I think that's all I got for goalies. Let's get back to some skaters. How about another outgery? Another guy who's been back for only one game. Jason Pommenville was out for a bit. Finally returned. Had one assist in his return yesterday, though only 12 minutes of time on ice. He's back on a line with Niederreiter and Hala, but not on the power play, surprisingly. On either unit last game, the Wild were going with Coil, Koivu, and Perize on the first unit, and then Granlin, Niederreiter, and Thomas Vanek for the second unit. And Vanek, by the way, returned for that game after being scratched for three games in a row, which was, I'm sure, very frustrating for Vanek owners. He was probably already dropped. Instead, in the last game, Zucker was dropped, Instead, in the last game, Zucker was scratched, so Vannick could get back in the lineup. Really weird stuff going on in Minnesota, but at least in terms of Jason Pommenville, he was on that hot run for a little bit before getting injured. Brian, do you think there's any value in him for the rest of the season now that he's back from injury?
1: Of course, I still believe that there's value in uh. Jason Pominville <laughs> down the stretch. You know, he only Why? played 12 or 13 minutes last night, which is not necessarily promising, although I think it's just him easing back into the lineup, there is maybe that nagging thought in the back of my mind that there is something lingering from injury, but they needed him back because he's such a crucial producer and key cog of the team's success. Right, Elon?
0: I mean, the guy didn't even get on the power play and he's playing on the third line, but let's go with that.
1: Okay, but the Wild might have two third lines right now. There's the <laughs> Pommenville one and then there's the Grenland Vonic, jones trio, which doesn't exactly scream second line either. The good news, though, is Pominville did manage an assist in those 12 minutes he played, and that gives him 12 points in his last 12 games played. Of course, there was injury in the middle of that stretch, but it's nice to see that he came back and continued what he's been doing lately. He's probably one of the hottest free agents available to you right now. I don't think a point per game pace is necessarily sustainable for him but I do think he's a good guy to grab and stream into your lineup if his schedule works out for you, especially if you would be the sort of person to consider Thomas Vonick or some other similarly disappointing guy. It's like drop the guy with some name recognition, add another guy with some name recognition who's actually doing something right now.
0: Yeah, well, there is reason to look at Minnesota. They play four games next week, including two off-day games on Friday and Sunday. So you will get some games out of Minnesota Wild players. Maybe if you don't want to go with a Jason Pominville because you agree with me that he's not very reliable. Here's another guy, I guess, who's not reliable, but maybe you should be looking at Jared Spurgeon right now. He's someone who went cold for so long, but he was on the top power play last game. If you noticed when I was reading the power play lines, it was three forwards. They're back to going three forwards on the top power play. And then Suter and Spurgeon on defense at least in the last game and I think they'll keep that going because Jared Spurgeon had two power play goals in Minnesota's last game albeit it was against Calgary but if you need a defenseman who can also give you blocks he had three blocks in that game as well you could do a lot worse than Jared Spurgeon as long as he's on the top power play I would say Brian I still have some injuries I wanted to get through maybe not as noteworthy as the ones we've talked about before but worth mentioning a couple more defensemen went down Dion Phaneuf on Ottawa is injured maybe for a little while. But maybe he was worth dropping anyway. He had a really nice start with the Sens, I remember. He had, like, a couple of games of getting two points. But since then, he hadn't really done anything. Only four points in his last 13 games. With Fanouf injured, is there any defenseman on Ottawa that you would want, aside from Eric Carlson?
1: No, there is no other Ottawa defenseman worth owning right now. If you look at their last 10 games, you've got Carlson with seven points from the blue line. Next is Mark Mathot with three points in two games and a couple guys with two, couple guys with one, and none of that is promising at all. I mean, yeah, Chris Weidman is seeing a little bit of power play time, but I don't think it's anything he's going to do a whole lot with. Maybe he gets a goal or a point here or there. Not any kind of consistent production coming from any defender not named Carlson on the Ottawa Senators.
0: Okay, then kind of a similar question. If we go to San Jose, the second defenseman there, mark Edward Vlasic, is also injured. Apparently, he'll be out at least a week, so he'll be gone next week. Is there any other defenseman worth owning on San Jose now, aside from Brent Burns?
1: Looking at their last 10 or 11 games, it's Brent Burns playing the role of Eric Carlson in San Jose, and then you've got Paul Martin is Mark Mathot with four points in his last 11. Brendan Dillon is next with three and 11. No, there's nobody else worth owning from the San Jose blue line. If you're in a deepish league, Paul Martin could be okay, but you can't expect even a half point per game pace to come from him.
0: Yeah, he did have three games in a row where he had an assist in each of those games. Definitely a mirage since then, two games with nothing. He does have eight blocks in his last three games, so maybe you might pick him up for some blocks and the potential for some points he's on the second power play unit on San Jose but that first unit really gets the majority of the time the Marlo, Couture Pavelski Thornton and Brent Burns they want to keep those guys out as long as possible then every once in a while they'll take out Hurdle Melker Carlson and Joel Ward along with Paul Martin and Dylan Demelo. yeah I agree with you also maybe don't activate Mark Edward Vlasic when he comes back he was already cold maybe this was a good opportunity for you to stash him grab someone else and then maybe you'll wait and see how Vlasic does when he returns to see if he's even worth bringing back into your lineup and actually, I still have two more defenseman injuries. What's with these defensemen going down? Oli Mata is now out long-term in Pittsburgh. Anton Strahlman yesterday got injured for Tampa Bay. And it looks like Matt Carl got some power play time on the second unit. Obviously, Victor Hedman now is going to take the reins there. If you were worried about Victor Hedman, now's the time definitely to hold on because he's not going to be losing time to Strawman. Hedman actually has five points in his last four games, so he's really been heating up after he was cold for a while. I really, really hope he didn't drop Victor Hedman. I mentioned Matt Carl getting some power play time last game. He actually also got an assist in that game against the Islanders. Of course, the Lightning scored seven goals, so maybe it was likely that a lot of people were going to be able to get points. But noteworthy, he played 24 minutes and a half, when before that he had been playing 10 and 11 minutes. So a huge deployment improvement for Matt Carl at least for that one game when Stroman got injured. We'll see if Matt Carl can keep that up. Another defenseman who did something yesterday who hadn't done something in a really long time is Jason Garrison. He had a goal two assists. And those were his first points in like forever. He has only 10 points on the year overall. I wouldn't recommend grabbing Jason Garrison even though he did that. I guess Matt Carl is someone to look at. What do you think, Brian?
1: Matt Carl, at the best of times, has been just below a 40-point player. And I don't see that necessarily repeating itself here. Even with Stroman out, I just think that Hedman carries more of the load now, is counted on more for power play production, plays more minutes altogether, including at even strength. I'm not sure there's a ton of residual value falling from Strawman onto either Garrison or Carl. Either of those guys can step up and pop in a power play point every now and again, but I think that the overall effect will be negligible enough that you don't need to rush out and grab one right now, and that the biggest change that comes from Strawman being out of the lineup is just increased responsibility for Hedman.
0: Yeah, makes sense. Maybe watch Matt Carl, see how he's used. I definitely wouldn't grab him right now, that's for sure. And with all of these defensemen being injured, how would I give you one defenseman on a hot streak that might be available in your league Brian, have you noticed Kevin Klein has eight points in his last eight games? And you guys might be asking, who's Kevin Klein? He's on the Rangers. He plays around 20 minutes a game. I feel like he's mostly been a peripherals guy from the time I could remember hearing his name. But all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a big surge of production. He only has 21 points on the year, but like I said, eight points in his last eight games. Is there any reason at all why this is happening? Has something changed for Kevin Klein that now he's an offensive superstar? Or is this just going to be fleeting production.
1: Kevin Klein has eight goals so far this season, only two of them coming in his most recent run, but they've come on 56 shots, which gives him a 14.3% shooting percentage, which is obscene for a defenseman. Like, that is more than twice as high as you would expect from a decent shooting defenseman. And you can see, if you look at his on-ice shooting percentage over the last couple weeks, it has been going up and up and up. Not only is he having shooting success this year, But his teammates are while he is on the ice. And that's where these points are coming from. So no, I don't think what he's doing right now is sustainable. He's not taking a lot of shots. He did have a six-shot game. But in his last 10, aside from that one six-shot game, he has just five shots combined. So you're looking at a shot every other game from this guy. Even though the points are coming more frequently than that right now, I don't think that's going to last.
0: All right. Well, if you picked up Kevin Klein, it's definitely been good while it's lasted. If you don't have him, I agree, don't pick him up. There's probably better options. How about a guy on a hot streak that I think we can agree might be able to keep it up? I feel like we've brought him up a lot, but we have to keep mentioning him. Robbie Fabry now has 11 points in his last 11 games for the Blues. He's actually been the Blues' top scorer since the All-Star break. Crazy. Like, we thought he was doing pretty well. He was getting a bit more opportunity. But he's just been on fire. Believe it or not, Paul Stasny is second on the Blues since the All-Star break in scoring. So two guys we weren't expecting to step up like they have. With a couple weeks left in the season, Brian, if Fabry is still a free agent in people's leagues, is it like time where they just have to grab him? It's no longer, maybe he could be good. It's like, grab him definitely?
1: Yeah, for sure. Not only is he doing well, like in a vacuum, looking at seeing what Fabry has been able to manage in terms of scoring points for himself, but in the context of the St. Louis lineup, he leads the team not only in points since the All-Star break, but also in power play points since the All-Star break. And you can even go back a couple weeks further to the start of February, and he's still leading in both categories. So right now, he's not just a guy on a hot streak. He's also the most productive guy on a very good offensive team for the last 25 games or so, which means that he deserves to be rostered in just about any fantasy league.
0: And I'm curious, Brian, are we going to give the credit for this run for Fabry to him or to Paul Stasny who's been right along with him a guy who we were disappointed in for so long like I said Stasny also has been really good lately he actually has 10 points in his last 7 games even hotter than Fabry in the short short term but they're both pretty much getting points almost every game. Would you put Stasny in the same category right now of a must-own, or is he less than Fabri in that regard? They're playing on the same line.
1: They're doing what they're doing together, so I suppose that Stasny is worth as much of a look. He has as many even strength points, only one less power play point than Fabri in the same stretch of time that we've been referencing. I always feel like I get burned when I back Paul Stasny, so I'm going to be cautious in how I say this. I suppose if you wanted, you might want to perhaps go and get maybe a guy (laughs) whose name could possibly be Paul Stasny.
0: Wow, okay. And let me throw out one more hot streak guy before we end the show with a few snoozers or cold streak guys, however you want to call them. Gotta mention Andre Palat on the Lightning. He now has two goals and four assists for six points in his last three games. He's a guy who's sort of been hot and cold throughout the year, and people have been asking us, should I drop Palat for various people? I remember all throughout on Twitter, we've been getting questions like that. Eight shots on goal, actually, yesterday against the Islanders in a three-assist game. Of course, that was a 7-4 game, so obviously a lot of Lightning got points, like I mentioned before about Matt Carl. Not really sure I have any advice or a question, but just wanted to say, great job, Andre Palat. And actually, good job to a lot of the Lightning players who, at some points in the season... We're concerning, like, Stamkos now has nine points in his last seven. Nikita Kucherov, he's been great all year, and he still has been great eight points in his last seven. Tyler Johnson went cold for a bit, but has three points in his last two games. Brian, would you want Palat over Tyler Johnson right now?
1: I mean, they're about even, but my answer over the course of the season has been Palat, and it's going to stay that way. He's been getting more points, seeing more minutes, had an eight-shot-on-goal game last night against the Islanders, which is really weird because he's generally a one-two-shot-on-goal-per-game guy, but actually, that's the third time in his last 10 where he's had four or more, so, knowing that he can bust out for a bunch of shots at some point or another is another element that he can add to his fantasy portfolio. And for those reasons, I would take him over Tyler Johnson. Though, again, I don't think you'll be very disappointed with either one.
0: Okay, let's end the show with a couple of guys on cold streaks. We mentioned the Sedins earlier, these superstars that we normally expect a lot from. But now in the last week, do you cut them to try and get a hot hand like Robbie Fabry? Brian, we have to go to Boston. David Krejci, after having had a very great season overall is pointless in his last four games. I know one of the patrons mentioned that he dropped him recently, and I thought, oh, you dropped Krejci? But then I'm taking a look. Yeah, pointless in his last four. Before that, he had a three-game point streak. But we're looking at the very short view here. Is there a reason to think that Krejci might continue to be cold for the rest of the season?
1: Short answer, Elon, is no. Everybody's feeling the crunch right now in Boston. Over the team's last 13 games played, stretching back to the last day of February... The Bruins have been held to two goals or fewer in ten of those thirteen contests. So there's not much scoring for anyone named Krejci or otherwise, and for anyone who's patting themselves on the back right now, saying, "Well, yeah, we knew all that early production from Krejci and the rest of the Bruins was not sustainable." Well, yes, we did know that, but Krejci had actually been more productive in January and February than he had been in November and December. They've been hit by regression already. This is on top. Of whatever effect they had been feeling to even out all that early season success, they're facing a huge difficulty right now in getting their shots past the goalie. And while we're at it, while keeping the opponent's shots out of their own net, the bright side is that the whole team, Krejci included, is still shooting. And that's what tells me that all they need is for their luck to turn. And hopefully they can get going because they're soon going to have some teams breathing down their neck for that last spot in the Atlantic and the wild card. They are barely... Keeping ahead of Detroit and are actually behind the Islanders who hold the top wild card spot right now.
0: Yeah, generally, when I look at a player that's a star player that's now on a cold streak and I'm trying to decide if I think he's going to keep the cold streak going or not, I like to look at his situation on the team, see if anything has changed. And something actually has changed, at least in the last game. Krejci was playing on, I guess, the third line with Pasternak and Beleski as opposed to playing with Louis Erickson. Maybe that's the second line because the second line was Erickson, Spooner, and Vetrano. The top line has still been good, Stempniak, Marchand, and Bergeron. But yeah, I guess things have been moving around a bit, which doesn't make me so happy. I would have preferred to see Krejci with Eriksson and Pasternak, I guess. Eriksson's the guy who actually has been the hottest Bruin lately. But Krejci's still on the top power play, so I agree with you, Brian. I think he should be able to break out for at least a couple of points over the next week. I feel like he's the type of guy that you would drop because he's cold, and then you'll end up regretting it because, then like, oh, now he's back to doing what he was doing before. So it would really depend who you're dropping him for. And for the last cold streak guy, I was going to mention Rick Nash. At least that was the plan earlier in the week. But you know what? He has goals in his last two games, which is great. Maybe the people who have him are breathing easy, but maybe not because he still did go pointless in all of the five games after he returned from injury before these last two games where he's had a couple of goals. Moving forward, Brian, are we still... Thumbs up on Rick Nash, or is there still reason for concern even though he's had these couple of goals? He's only been playing like 14 minutes a game, so that's not too great, but the goals are great.
1: The goals are great, but thumbs are still sort of up, but moving sideways is how I'd characterize it. Over the seven games that he's been back in the lineup, he has had fewer than three shots on goal, more often than he has had three shots or more on goal. And if you look at his shot attempt rates over the last three years you'll see that this is a bit of a trend with him. They're going down year over year. Now, he's been able to mask this somewhat with a pretty decent goals for per 60 rate, which Elon, of course, has bumped up over the last couple games. His full season shot pace, though, remains his lowest right now since his 2006-2007 season back, when he was in his fourth year in the league with the Columbus Blue Jackets. Now, don't get me wrong, it's still pretty good to be getting about three shots on goal per game, but it's a definite step down from his shooting habits over the last several years that he's made a name for himself in the NHL with. And to really twist the knife on Rick Nash, this shooting drought of his has coincided with what will be the poorest shooting percentage of his career. He's shooting just over 8%, which is a good 4% lower than his career mark, and actually a couple percentage points below even the average NHL forward so Rick Nash needs a couple things happen. He needs his luck to turn if he's going to produce regularly over the course of the regular season but he can help himself turn that luck by creating a few more opportunities in which there's a possibility for him to get lucky in the first
0: place all right so cautious optimism for Rick Nash getting those couple of goals but we're still not seeing what we want to see Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to this week's episode. We're nearing the end of the season. We thank you so much for sticking with us all this time. If you enjoyed the show, let us know. If you have any thoughts or feedback, tweet at us, at Keeping Carlson. You could also just follow us. We like to tweet throughout the week. If you would be so kind as to give us a five-star review on iTunes, we'd always appreciate that. Great way to help support the show without costing you anything. If you did have some extra money to spare, you could become a patron of Keeping Carlson. I know it's the end of the regular season. But you could just become a patron for one month. Join the patron-only Facebook group. Join our bi-weekly patron cast. It's a lot of fun. So you could check out the information for that at keepingcarlson.com slash patron. Like we said in our little snippet at the top, there's going to be a live show next week on Monday. So if you're able to make it for that, that would be fantastic. We'd love to have as many people there as possible. Just check out keepingcarlson.com slash live for all the information there. We've got the Seed Geek promotion. Put in the offer code KEEPING to get $20 off your first purchase. That's all I've got, so let's cue the outro music. And Brian, read us the credits.
1: All right, this episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and supported by our patrons. It was researched with help from... Frozen Pool, Hockey Reference, Hockey Analysis, Corsica Hockey, War on Ice, Roto World, Yahoo Sports,
0: and ESPN Fantasy Hockey. Great job as always, Brian, and I'm looking forward to talking to you on the live show next Monday. Until then, keep on keeping carl